Hey everyone, welcome to What Matters. Uh, my name is Kylie Scales. I'm the Managing Director of Black Lives Matter Global Network, and I am joined today, very excited to be joined today by legend, activist, um, rapper, artist um, from the Boogie Down, Bronx, my son, the general, how you doing? My son, the general, is an independent hip hop artist and criminal justice reform activist from the Bronx, whose work with impacted communities has made extraordinary contributions to violence. He is the founder of Raising Kings, the founder, the co-founder of Until Freedom with our girl Tamika Mallory, and most recently, my son founded King's Stop Killing King's Movement to honor the late Nipsey Hussle. Thank you, my son, for joining us today. It's so exciting to have you here. Can't wait to get into some of these conversations and hear what has been going on. Um, this is a very interesting time for Black people, um, for people everywhere. Uh, this time is, I, I, I keep hearing from everyone that this is different, this, this feels different. Um, and I know that you've been on the ground in Minneapolis um, where George uh, Floyd was killed, you've been in Louisville where Breonna Taylor was killed, Atlanta where Ahmaud Aubrey was killed, and now Rashad. Um, so I know that you've been on the front lines dealing with trauma, dealing with communities and families, and just being out there with our people. Um, what, how's your spirit doing? Like, what, 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 Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing and tell us how your spirit is doing. First of all, I want to say thank you for having me. You know, it's a pleasure to be on this platform with a fellow New Yorker. You know, so I appreciate that. Please. <laughs> but as far as, you know, it's my spirit and what I'm dealing with, it's a lot. You know, you know, you know, doing this work, we take on everybody's trauma along with our own, you know, our daily trauma. And then we're faced with family members of lost ones, you know, constantly seeing shootings or beatings from, from raging from children to elderly people, you know, and it's, it's a lot, when you, especially when you take that on every day and you deal with everybody else's trauma and you deal with that firsthand on the front line. So I would, I would be lying if I said that it wasn't a lot and that sometimes it's not really heavy, you know, but I understand this moment, I understand this time, I understand what it is that, you know, I was called to do as, as an activist. I don't think any of us just do this work because we want to. I think we do it because we have to, you know. I think it's so much other things that would be easier, more convenient, you know, and be more blissful. But, you know, we understand that we've been called to do this work. So with that being said, just just the, the chain of events and probably the, la the last, you know, there's this picture that they have of, um, of the beginning of the year where they have, I forgot his name. Um, I'm thinking about it. He's, he has, a, I know he has a suit on. He says, ready for New Year's. And then, then he, he, he does the song, This is America. And you know, he got his cigarette in his mouth. He got his rifle. It's just the change from three months to where we are. Like nobody could have known that 2020 was going to be this type of a year. So, you know, just understanding that and dealing with the pandemic, right. you know, the epidemic, to where we, you know, to where we are now, it's just, I've went through so many different levels of trauma, anger, fear, not knowing, confusion, 
you know, just going through different things, just trying to stay stable, man. Just trying to keep your mind stable in these times. Yeah. It's very hard, you know? Yeah. And I deal with people with marginalized communities, people who are the highest risk, who are the poorest every day, you know? And and it's a lot. It's, it's really a lot. But, you know, by the grace of God, I'm still here. I still have my health. I still can smile sometimes. You know, my family and everyone's in good health and good spirits. And, and I'm still fighting a good fight. Yeah, it's, it's important. And it's like, like you were saying, like there's so many mixed emotions happening right now. I remember, first of all, you know, May was horrifying. Like it was just like, it just, we just had dealing with so much, not just being in the house and knowing that we're all, that we, our family members are dying. We're dying disproportionately with COVID and dealing with that and knowing we gotta go to work, knowing that not everybody can stay home and, 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 and you know, and, quarantine like folks have to be out there and, and do so we're dealing with that and then we're watching God and we're watching Brianna and then and it was just like I know for me on that day on May 20th I was just like I'm, I'm I can't like it was just it was it was incredible because it was just so much you know you watched the you watched or you heard about this video and you how cavalier and I just remember thinking are you not afraid? Did you not know that all this? Are we not making? Are not hearing or saying stop killing us? Like you're kidding. And it was just this feeling of incredible, incredible sadness that I can't even describe. But what has happened since then? Um, watching, you know, this unprecedented what feels like numbers of people just feeling the same way like no no not this i would not watch a man be reunited with the spirit of his dead mother on camera i'm not going to see that no and it, it was just really incredible to watch so many people feeling that same way and so when you were on the ground did you sense any anything different did people feel like did you sense, was the anger palpable did it feel different than some of the other actions and demonstrations that you may have been a part of oh it's definitely different there's a there's an invigorating spirit there's a the youth i say this a lot and i've been saying a lot lately that these youth have no fear and they have they have resurged me they have given me an energy that you know sometimes in this work it's sometimes it feels like you take one step forward to take five steps back. You know, you think you got something going and then something worse happens. You know, legislation that you want to get passed gets passed and then you put some more laws that's even worse. So it's just like, it's always push and pull with this. And sometimes you just get a little tired, but you keep fighting. Right. But the, these youth on the ground, you know, I was, I was, the way that it happened for me is on Memorial Day. We were traveling to Kentucky for for um, Brianna Taylor. We were gonna have we had a memorial for her. We had a wreath. We had our family out there, and then we did an action the next day. So we went down there to celebrate Memorial Day with her family. After we leave Memorial Day, I mean, after we leave her memorial, we headed to Indianapolis, where there had been three police killings in less than 24 hours. So we had actually had a personal, one of our, our um, board chair had a personal relationship with one of 
the mother's whose son was killed. So we went down there to meet with her. And during that meeting, she told us about the other two. I know people have seen Sean Reed, the young man who was in the car. Right. And the police chased him and shot him as he was running away That's in his right. back and, and told him, you know, this looks like it's going to be a closed casket. You know, I heard that they actually shot the man's eyes out. That was something that I didn't even know. It's crazy to me that and, you know. Any, anyway, um, then we found out that another woman had been ran over by the police, a pregnant woman. Police had ran over in the car, killed her. So all of this is happening, and while we're in Indianapolis getting all this, we see somebody is DMing us about George Floyd. And immediately when we seen that video, like I have, I still have yet to watch the whole video. Right. I just can't do it. Right. The first two to three minutes was just too much for me. Just as the people kept saying, yo, you kill him. You don't hear him. And he's screaming, yo, I can't breathe. And he's screaming for his mother. That just, it was too much for me. You know, I didn't even get to the part where he lost his life. Just the fact seeing the way he was suffering was just too much for me to watch. You know, so I, while we were in Minneapolis, we looked and said, where's this at? And we find out it was in Minneapolis. And we said, you know what? We're driving to Minneapolis. And we drove 10 hours overnight. Hmm. And we got there at about 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. The day after, on, the first, on Tuesday morning. And um, when we got there, the police station was building this fence around the police station. Right. And um, because they knew people were coming to protest. And by the end of that day, it was just so many people protesting. And the energy, and you know, people can say what they want. I know there was looting happening, but I know the way that the looting started in Minneapolis. You know, police officers started shooting rubber bullets and tear gas at mm -hmm. nonviolent protesters. And when their eyes started burning, they started running into places to try to get anything, water. And the, the people on the target was like, no, 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 we can't help you. And then next thing you know, everybody just ran in there and just they started getting water. And, and milk to clean out the, the tear gas of your eyes. And then it turned into something else because they weren't willing to, you know, help the people clear the, the tear gas of their eyes. So but prior to that, there wasn't any looting. And even after the looting, there was such a level of community. There yeah. was such a level of unity out there. Like, whatever they, people were taking out the store, they, they created whole tents and tables and they were giving it away to people who might have needed things. It wasn't like, yo, we just trying to steal. No, people, do you need this? Do you need these things? And people were giving it. It was just a different feeling. There were people singing songs. They were singing yeah. gospel songs. You know, they were united. It was, it was, people understood that this time was something different. Like, this was like, it was like we fed up. And we, and we found all our people. People always ask about marching. And why I march. And oh, marching doesn't work. And I say, listen, I don't know how many marches you've been to. And I don't know. How many you 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 stayed to see the end result of? Yeah. But when you march, you identify your allies. You sit around with people who have the same wants and you know who have the same goals as you want. They, they want to see the same thing you want. You look them in the eyes, and they look you in the eyes, and there's a level of unity like you've never seen anything. And I in this particular time, as I went while I was in Minneapolis, the unification there was just phenomenal. It's just that there was no no race that wasn't there. There was no creed that wasn't there, no religion. 
everyone was present. And it wasn't uniformity, it was unity. You know, we don't have to all think the same. We don't have to all believe in all the same things. But we just have to believe that justice and equality is possible. So it was it was phenomenal for me. That, you said it. It's really important for us to... I feel like this moment has united us under that fact. Like, this is wrong. So I feel like people took a look at that video or heard about it. Their children have heard about it. And people are just like allies. Black people are used to it, right? Like we know this happens, it's not news. But I feel like this is different because the world felt like other people who may not have felt this before are thinking, how can I not see this again? I'm trying to see this again. This, was, this is traumatic. This is horrific. This is brutality in a way that is inconceivable. How can I not see this again? This is wrong. And I feel like that is a bit of the spirit of what we are seeing right now. And you're right, like people are talking about, you know, looting and, you know, we do not value material possessions over human lives. Exactly. We do not value material possessions over human lives. So, we should not allow ourselves to be distracted by the noise. We should fo stay focused, stay the course, and remember we are here for justice. That's right. Justice is messy. And remember that we are, no, we are not, we don't advocate violence. No. Because the bottom line is, the bottom line is, you can't commit violence against brick and mortar. There's no, there's no way to be violent in brick and mortar. That's, you know, it. So, that's it. So, yeah. We, 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 we preach, I say all the time, when we go out there, we scream, no justice, no peace. We say that every day. We, we say that, no justice, no peace. So if that's not what you actually meant, right. then don't say it. But this is what we've said. We, we haven't got justice, so it can't be no peace. And right. we're not talking about violence, but we're going to let you know that peace is a completely different than violence. That's peace right. means that you get to, to go to bed quietly and calmly and everything's yeah. at ease and you know everything that's going to happen. No, we marching. There's protests. It's not a parade. You don't get to tell us where we march. You don't get to tell us how long we stay outside. You don't get to control anything. You lost you that. Not to be angry. No, nah, you don't get to tell us that. Nope. We, we, we was trying to give. We gave you the opportunity. We wanted to adhere yes. to what you wanted us to do. Yeah. People always, like, you know, are surprised. Like, BLM protests. Like, they're like block parties, right? Like, you know, like, like you said, there's singing, there's dancing, there's, there's call-outs. It's beautiful. It's community. It's spirit. It's joining in with your allies to fight for the thing that we deserve and need because everything, we've tried all the other things. And so now we're in these streets. And yeah. people are surprised. And they're like, you know, the protest is so peaceful. I just want to remind folks of what you just said a minute ago. You know, who brings the rubber bullets? Who brings the tear gas? Who brings the batons? Yeah. Protesters? Because I see them with water bottles. That's right. So who, who moves people out of the way with force and shields and knocks people down? Who does that? The protesters? That's right. So who brings violence to protest? That's my, I'll, I'll leave it at that. That's it. <laughs> We've seen the images. We know. So this is what we have to remember. Number one. We do not value property over human lives. Number two, it's hard to have a peaceful protest when you're faced with rubber bullets and you're faced That's with right. tear gas and you're faced with baton. You're beaten for right. your human right. You're beaten for being angry and for being in community with people who are suffering in the same way you are. That's hard. It's hard. Very hard. 
Anyway, so the other thing I want to talk to you about is um, some of your experiences. So, like, you know, as we were saying, a lot of people, you know, this is the first time that their eyes have been opened to the brutality of police in black communities and, and, and they're shocked by it. But um, you've said, you've talked about how the, how um, the criminal justice system unfairly targets black people. You've said that people are incarcerated for $5 crimes while their white counterparts are getting probation. Can you talk a little bit about um, the experience, our experience, black experience uh, with, with uh, you know, uh, criminal justice and the police force? Um, well, I can talk a lot about that. You know, I, I was I did seven years for a crime that amounted to a hundred dollars. You know, um, never had any prior record, and um, somebody said I robbed them for twenty five dollars, and somebody said I robbed them for fifty dollars. You know, no nobody was harmed, and even though I never robbed the people anyway, just even even if I had robbed, which I did, the the seven to 14 years at 21 years old for a nonviolent crime with someone who had no record, who was going to school, who was, you know, who had a, a record deal about to go off, you know, it didn't make sense. And it still does. And I know that my white counterpart would have never went to prison for that, you know, and, and that's it disproportionately affects us being incarcerated. I watched 17 and 18 year old boys coming in there with 10 and 12 years for things that you, because they didn't have lawyers, they didn't have, they didn't understand the law. You right. know, they weren't, they didn't have money to pay to pay their way out of the legal system. That's, that's what's so unfortunate and so corrupt. If you have money, then you can buy your level of justice. You know, money creates the level of justice that you can get. And the lawyer, lawyers will blatantly tell you, "You pay me this amount, I can get you this." Right. Not whether you did this and that, but pay me this amount. And I can get this done, you know. So that means that the that justice is for sale, and therefore, if it's for sale, then it's not equal. Therefore, it is not created equal, and then those who can't pay for it won't get it, you know. And that's what that's what the reality is, is in our communities. We, a lot of us don't have the education to know about the laws, and other of us don't have the money to be able to pay their ways out into freedom. So this is what we're faced with every day. So when you look at this situation, and you look at the uprising of our people, you look at the rising to the top. This is, I call it the cherry on the cake. You know, it started out with the slave master, then it was the overseer, then it's the police officer, and then the cherry on the cake is when you actually see what they've done. And they've been doing this at every level, every level for us. And it's just to the point where we just tired. That's you right. know, we can, we can trace this back so far. It's just no matter what uniform they put on, it's always them hurting, killing us, and locking us up at disproportionate rates. That's right. 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 Yeah. And so now that we know this, hopefully the world has seen this. We're out here in these streets. We, I could, we could be out in these streets. I love being around people and, and just fighting the fight. But we're going to come. We, people are going to come inside. And what happens next? Like, how do we make sure that this sticks because as a lot of people are saying it's different it feels different there's more people involved what now how do people know that what happened outside is working and how do people know what to do when they come back in the house to keep it going what are your thoughts uh, i'm gonna say what um what, 
my brother Killer Mike says we got to plan, strategize, and mobilize. You know, we've seen what's going on. Now we have a plan. We have the world's attention, and that's what until freedom really wants to do. We want to sit there and create a plan. We we've come up with a plan, and we mobilize. And I think at this point, we have the eyes and ears of not only our people, but all those people who are just want justice. You know, and first, so we have to galvanize all those people. We have to galvanize them on one idea, and it's just justice and equality. You know, because I believe that we have enough people that actually want that to where we can start to make some real change. You know, when we talk about defunding the police, people are like, oh, you need the police. Some you know, it's so hard for us to imagine that we don't need police. It's so because it's it's something that we've been taught. We've been taught that violence. Is inevitable. That crime is inevitable, and it's only inevitable. It's only inevitable where there's poverty. It's only inevitable. You don't see the, the crime rates outside of America. Yo, know, we we have the highest population, and we're supposed to be the land of the free. We have the highest prison population in the world. There are other populations where they have very few police officers. They have very few. The crime rate is so low. So if you if you start to defund police and you start to put resources into communities you start to make sure that people have proper jobs you should have to make sure that these kids are properly educated into building wealth and not just working for somebody where they working from you know for pennies on a dollar and working nine to five and, and they just seeing their life just pass before they face. you start to create sustainable income you start to create um you start to create careers for you you start to create programs that channel their energy, and you put those things in our communities, you will see that crime won't be rampant. You will see that because anywhere there's not poverty, the crime level is low. So let's try to eliminate poverty. But you know why, America, that doesn't work for America because it's a capitalist society, and it has to be a lower class. So we have to figure out. So what we have to do is figure out how we dismantle capitalism. And that's what we have to do. Us as the people who want justice have to understand that in order for justice to be free to actually happen in America, we have to dismantle capitalism because that is the foundation for why all these things. There has to be a lower class for capitalism to exist. It has to be. You know, somebody has to be the bottom feeder. The, the, the people who make billions of dollars have to make it all for somebody else's back. So this is what we're dealing with. So since we understand that, we understand that, you know, this inequity happens because there's some people who have way too much and there's some people who have absolutely nothing. And their poverty actually equal violence. So we have to figure out how do we eliminate poverty? We have to sit down together and figure out how do we rebuild these communities and we transfer them, transfer them into something that looks like the beloved community. And then we can start to move back on police. We can start to, you know, police our own communities. I think that's what we should be moving forward. There's a lot of us, quote unquote, OGs, who've been in these communities our whole lives, who have relationships with these young kids who they look up to because we have past just like them, who we've been through the same things they've been through and they, re they respect us. We can stop the crime in the neighborhoods. If we had something to fund these kids, if we had you know, we had corporations, operations to where we could give these kids um, money to do something that's positive. You know, we, we, we could definitely stop crime and violence in our community. So I think that those are things that are next steps for us. Those are things that are next steps for me. I think we all should be looking about how do we rebuild our communities. Yeah. Our goal should not be to leave the hood because everybody say, I'm trying to get out the hood. No, 
is to build the hood. It's rebuild the hood. You know, let's put the neighbor back in the hood. Because when we started just calling it the hood, we forgot about the neighbor. You know, so when we start to call it the neighborhood again, then we start to see ourselves as one, as unified, as wanting the same thing for our brothers and the person who lives next door to us as we want for ourselves. You know, if I'd have had a vision of a lawyer or a doctor who lived next door to me or somebody who owned a business, you know, if I would have seen that every day, that's what I would have grew into. That's what I would aspire to be. But my first vision of success was a drug dealer who had a BMW, who was, you know, outside, who had all the girls and all the jewelry that I wanted. So if we change that narrative and we show a different vision of success, then the kids will aspire to be something different. So that's the... It's true. And I think that you, you hit it. Like, you know, we're, we're so focused on this divestment word. And, and Sister Tamika said earlier today, it's just like, why are we so afraid to number one of that word? Because divestment has been happening in our community since the beginning of, of people to become slaves so that we, other folks can become rich. We have been divested in for centuries. That's right. So what is required now is a reinvestment in our communities. Is to purposefully turn away from the divestment, fix it, literally fix it. That's right. Reinvest all the, and make up for the many, many years of divestment and reinvest in the communities. And, and where does that money come from, you might ask? Perhaps from a broken system that was built to um, disproportionately uh, target us and, and, and beat and name us because of its roots in slave catching um, and a system that was built to kill us. Maybe divest a little of that and provide those resources as you so eloquently stated in those communities where in some cities, if you take simply 5% out of the police budget, you could double the housing budget. And so it's really about, it's very simple. People are like, oh, oh my God, it's so complicated. It's, it's quite simple. It's really just repairing decades, centuries of damage that has been done to a community for no reason in order to make other people rich in order for us to be able to thrive. And it's not weird, as you said, it's not weird. It's not like there's all this violence. Like, think of, you know what you know what we're talking about? We're talking about like white suburbs, like, you know, l- less cops, better schools. What happens? <laughs> Simple. Um, yeah. We could talk about that all day, but I want to talk to you a bit about um, your children's books. So I know you have kids and I'd love to hear, um, we'd all love to hear a little bit about, you know, what you teach your sons and um, a, a bit about your a children's book. Um, I know my rights. My children's book, shout out to my publisher, co-publisher and partner, um, McBride Stories. It's a book, it's crazy how, where we are now and this book is present, right? So late January, early January, I met this guy through a mutual friend. One of my friends called me and said, this guy wants to do a book with you. He wants to meet you. He wants me to connect you. So I'm like, I tell him, yeah, give him my number. He calls me. Hey, let's meet up. You know, I got an idea. So we meet. We go to Sylvia's restaurant in Harlem. And we sit in there and we talk. And he's like, yo, I think you should do a book about knowing your rights, about the Constitution. So I'm like, he said, for kids. And I'm just like, so I'm like, he said, just, yeah, just break down like the first 10 amendments of the Constitution for kids. Because it's the, the, like what we're going through, a lot of these kids don't even know their rights. You see these kids getting pulled over. You're seeing people getting stopped in cars and people just don't even know their rights no more. 
So I think if we start educating kids young, and I was like, this really makes sense. He said, I think you're the person to do it. I think, you know, what it is that you represent and, you know, how you on the front lines doing this work and especially being an artist, just give it some level, like, rhyme scheme with it along with it so that it just has another appeal. I was like, okay. You know, I'm like, this is something I could do, man. And um, we left. We Well, we were about to leave, and they thought we were trying to skip out on the bill. It was the weirdest thing. We paid, but the, the, somehow it didn't go through. They said, hey, excuse me, came back. And we laugh about that all the time. Man. They actually thought we were going to skip out of the bill, and we feel like, we feel like this book is going to be something that's historical that we're going to be able to write about and say that was one of our things. But the book for me is really is really um personal. If you look on the front cover, these are these three. This is my oldest son. This is my youngest son. And this is my middle son. So this is Cameron, Keston, and Nassan. And this is me. So these are actually my kids that I, you know, I wanted to... So when you, it's, the animation is so beautiful. I love the pictures because they look cartoonish, but they give you like this real feel. I don't know what it is. They're very cartoonish, Beautiful. but it still gives like very colorful and it's full. And I really feel like this picture looks more like me than I actually do sometimes. <laughs> so, you know so I love it. I need that book. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a dope book. It's 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 built for it's re, it's made for children from like third grade up, but it's such a family book. There's a lot of people I've got gotten the book and said that they've sat down with their kids and they've learned things that they didn't know about the amendments and. The kids are into it. They read it. They're quizzing their kids. It's really like a family book. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of it. We was number one on Amazon for a couple of weeks. You know, we just, it's, you know, it's, it's been a good feeling, man, to see it received the way it is. So many different people have reached out to me, celebrities, athletes, like, yo, this book is necessary. It's dope, man. I appreciate what you did with this book, man. So, it's, it's something that you can. It's on Amazon right now. You can go order. It's called I Know My Rights, Bill of Rights. Go order it on Amazon. Get your copy. You know, you won't be disappointed. I'm telling you, it's a family book. The kids are going to love it. You know, and, I, and I'm proud of it. Oh, that's great. Yes, with the king and the young kings on the cover. Yes, love it. Yes. <laughs> so we can queue up our first question. So I want you to hear this from a caller, and then we can answer our team will make it Hi, my name is Claire Stakely. I'm calling from Los Angeles. Uh, I'm kind of new to protesting, um, and I was just wondering, now that uh, we're living in a pandemic and fighting for justice uh, with a disease um, untamed that we don't know very much about, I was wondering, uh, my son's... Uh, thoughts on um, protesting, um, you know, in, in the pandemic and if you should quarantine between uh, protests or just try to restrict your activities in school. Um, I tried to get tested, so did my friends, uh, but they're still prioritizing people uh, with symptoms, uh, so it's really not possible it seems for us to get a test anytime soon. Thank you, and I'm, uh, I hope I get to hear your response. Yeah, so protesting in the pandemic, essentially. Tips, ideas. So tips for me, you know, there was a lot, there was a lot of debate, you know, before 
before we did our first protest, my first protest during the pandemic was the governor and the mayor had suspended our right to protest. Mm-hmm. You know, and during the pandemic, they were they were in New York. I don't, it was a lot of places, but in New York, there was an almost overwhelming amount of abuse for social distancing in only our communities. Mm-hmm. If you went to the Bronx, in Harlem, in Brooklyn, they were beating the crap out of people. Nightsticks, jumping on them, beating them, macing them, everything. You went downtown for social distancing, it was handed on masks. Yeah. You know, so they, the, 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 the way that they were handling it was so crazy. And when we said something about it, they told us they forbid us to protest. They suspended our First Amendment rights. And we had to sit down as a team and, and say, should we be outside? You know, we were all social distancing. It was probably like a month and a half, two months into quarantine. And we made a decision that, you know, they, I'm not going to let you kill my brothers outside while right. I stay in the house. You know, and as a, as an, I feel like being an activist, you're an essential worker. You know, the same way that the everybody, the essential workers had to go to the hospital, the people had to go to stores. Being an activist, I'm an essential worker. So that's that was something that I I had to see necessary to do. You know, and I took I, t- I tried to keep myself as healthy. I tried to quarantine as much. I tried to, you know, utilize my mask. I did all the things necessary, but I had to be outside. I had to be out there. And uh, there was a lot of people that felt so. But as some people, you don't have to. You know, it's there are so many ways to participate in the movement. And if you're not comfortable going outside, if you don't feel like, you know, this pandemic is something, if you don't feel like, if you have pre-existing health issues, you know, if you're elderly, if you have, you know, breathing issues already, then, you know, I would advise that you, you take you take the necessary precaution. Make sure that you social distance. You know, make sure that you you do the necessary things. You know, as we reacclimate into society, you have to do those things anyway. So I think if you decide that you protest, just make sure that you're doing everything necessary, the, the same way that you would in a normal day. You know, you don't have to be, you know, confined in a protest. You can keep your distance. You can make sure you have your mask on. So you know, there's so many ways. And if you feel like you you you're going to be around someone who may be at risk or or a higher at risk. You know you might want to quarantine away from that person. You want you might want to stay away from your elderly grandmother or aunt. Or, you know you might want to stay against someone who has immunocompromised. You know those are things you might want to do. You might want to quarantine away from them. So you know I think this is best. And if you can get tested, do you know if there's so many things that you can do. So much. That's unknown, like you said, about COVID-19. Only thing we can do is the best we can. You know, we have to, at some point, we have to, like, be essential. There are jobs that are essential. And I have to be on the front line. So the only thing I can do is the best I can do. And I just hope that you do the best that you can do. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great advice. And I like what you said, like, you don't have to be out there. Um, but if you are, be careful. I'm out there with my mask on, trying to stay away from people. But still needing to feel like needing to feel that community to feel in this moment, right. um, you know, that that closeness. So I understand. Um, thanks for that. Uh, okay, next question from the second caller. Hello, my name is Walter. I'm calling from Long Branch, New Jersey. We would like to know if your artist would be interested in 
petitioning to have a statue of Christopher Columbus removed from the center of town. Christopher Columbus uh, is a master and he was the leader of the, uh, he gave birth to the African-American slave trade. And I believe that any statues resembling that man should be removed. So, so this is happening all over the country right now. People are just tearing down these statues. So I think it's a very interesting question to think about, you know, what do these symbols of white supremacy mean? How damaging are they? We heard about the Confederate flag coming down in NASCAR. Like what, what is this? What do you think about it? So I say that they should all go there. You know, I think the reality is there's a history that we don't, you know, if America's history is something that we owe it. They say until until the the um, fox tells the story, the lion will always be the winner. You know, it's, you always hear. So the bottom line is, America has told the story of the slave owner since its beginning. You know, they haven't told about those who revolted. They haven't told about the brave people who decided not to die. You know, there's no Nat Turner. We don't have Nat Turner. Um, statues anywhere. You know, we don't have Marcus Garvey statues all around. Like, these are things that we need to be having. Celebrating those. We need to have, you know, Harriet Tubman statues. These are things that we, we need to show those who, despite being oppressed, still fought. Not those who were oppressing us. You know, they say, they, they, they made an example. They said, you don't see any statues of the Nazis in Germany. You just don't see them. You see the people you they have all of the people who passed away, the people who fought against them. So I think America, there, there's a reckoning. You know, we're at a stage now where it's, it's gonna, it's gonna change. You know, it's just like when, when, when you know, when I watch the la the women's wave change, there's a reckoning. You know, men had to be uncomfortable for a little while. You have to be uncomfortable because it's about women. We've been patriarchy has controlled the world for so long. We've been used to hearing and everything and being about men. And then you gotta, you're going to have to listen to it being about women for as much time as we've heard about it being about. So it's a reckoning, you know? So they're gonna, it's going to make people uncomfortable because all of the history that you've heard and you believed and you've glorified because you profited off of it is not going to be great anymore. There's going to be a new history. There's going to be new stories told. And, you know, those of us who have been oppressed for years are going to be people who are being celebrated. And it's going to have to happen because that's just how it's supposed to be, you know. And you, America, as we know it, it's not, it can't remain the same. There's just no way that it can go back to what it was because everybody is aware that what it was was wrong. That's right. Yes. Yes. Say it. Tell it. Okay. So our last question, um, queued up, question number three. <laughs> Hey, uh, my name is Suzanne Michelle. I'm calling from Montreal. I know this is not really a popular thing to say, but um, I want to ask, how do we make sure that we don't overplay our hand and go too far? Uh, I know that's not popular, but uh, I do want to make sure that there is some discussion about this in the, in the BLM movement. Um, of, we've got to be careful not to alienate, you know, poor constituencies. I don't want to sound too timid, but at the same time, uh, a concern of mine that uh, you can make some um, roads, but I also feel that we have to um, be conscious of, of the way I would put it, just not overplaying our hand and
Yeah. Um, so I hear that question quite a bit, actually, um, in this moment, just about, and I think it kind of alludes kind of to what you were just saying about people discomfort mm-hmm. and these conversations in this moment that are just like, oh, everything's moving so fast. And um, I, I would love to hear your thoughts about moving too fast or overplaying our hands in this. Well, I think we've had hands overplayed on us for far too long. We've sat back and we've dealt with it and we've screamed and we've cried and we've dealt with being oppressed. If overplaying our, our hand is asking for equity and equality, then understand what we've been dealing with. See, if, if you think that uh, us asking just to be equal is overplaying our hand, demanding, not asking no more, us demanding equality, us talking about what's been wrong for us for, for hundreds and thousands of years in this country, us actually saying what's been going wrong for us, actually saying that now we need to have an equal playing field, is us overplaying our hands, then maybe, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I, you know, we're not going to not overplay our hand anymore. You know, we're going to play the hand that we deserve. You yeah. know, we got, right now we got four aces, and we got all the suits, and we're playing spades. We're about to run a Boston. You know, they've been running Bostons on us for years, and we've sat back and taken, and not equity, we, they didn't take equity. They had us at the lower class. They they were comfortable. People have been comfortable with profiting off our demise. They've been pro- they've been comfortable with living on our backs. They've been comfortable with watching us die, watching us starve. You know, and now you're uncomfortable because we're telling you that we don't want to do that anymore. So if you think that's overplaying our hand. I don't know what to tell you because I, I don't even think we actually started playing our hand. No, we underplayed. You know what I'm saying? I don't think we've even started playing our hand. So those yeah. who who might be turned off by it, that's part of life. You know, sometimes everybody ain't gonna be happy. But yeah. those who understand the moment we're in and understand the reality where we're in, they understand that this was a long time coming. You know, and and and, and it's here. And I think our people have woken up. We have allies who have woken up. People who just believe in justice and equality, who understand what it's supposed to be, have woken up. There's no more denying what, you know, we said we said before, people used to hide from the truth. Now now the truth is hiding from people. You know, they used to hide the truth from people. Now people is hiding from the truth. Right. You know? So if you're still hiding from the truth, that's on you, man. But we ain't going to stop telling it. And also... This is not really a new conversation in the movement space. Mm-hmm. Like if, if, we, if this is a question of overplaying our hand, that ha- that been that been happened. Like, please, we ain't had no yeah, that hand been on. This is this is not a different conversation for movement. This is the same conversation that we've been having. People ask all the time, like, where'd BLM go? And BLM's BLM's been here since 2013. Never left. Never moved. The same thing. It's just it feels different because people are listening now. That's so it. The message doesn't change. The nope. message is now on here. The window is open. We're gonna push down the door. It's not. We're not. The window's open, and we're gonna like tenderly bring everyone through. The message. We're, the, the message is it's here. It's the same. Um, you know, we we are. We hope that you find it accessible, <laughs> and that you understand. Ask questions. Yes. Search figure it out, look within, 
you know, have moments of individual um, uh, uh, thoughts and, and um, assessments of how you're looking at these issues now. But does the messaging change? The messaging I don't believe it's changed at all. I just believe the fact y'all took the little things out your ears now. We done took the things out, the plugs out your ears. Right, right, right. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, we've we've taken a lot of your time. I want to know if you have any final things that you want to leave with this group, folks. Thank you so much for being here. What do you? Any final I want to say thank you for having me. Um, it's been a pleasure, you know. And um, the struggle continues, man. We have a long way to go. You know, we're seeing progress. We're seeing that you said, like you said, people are actually starting to listen to the words we've been saying in this mm -hmm. movement, and, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm so, I'm optimistic. You know, I haven't been very optimistic in a while, but I'm optimistic after seeing for over three weeks of us actually protesting daily, every day, somewhere around this world, people are saying that they're just not comfortable, you know, so I don't think that that's, I think you can't govern the people the, the way they don't want to be governed. You know, that's just the bottom line. And the people are saying that the, the government no longer fits the needs of the people. They need something different. You know, and I think we, we on this front line, who've been in this movement for all these years, know exactly what that something different is. And, you know, it's just about us providing that and us all getting on the same board, no matter what organization, no matter what denomination, no matter what you believe or don't believe, but you have to believe that justice and equality is possible and we're yeah. going to get what we're supposed to get. Thank you so much. We have to stay vigilant and we have to prioritize healing because this work is not easy. We just started. And That's right. of course, this is a marathon. So um, thank you so much for being here. Thank, thank you for having me. General from New York. We just, this is just a joy and a pleasure and you drop all the knowledge and we really appreciate your generosity, your spirit, being out there fighting for black people, loving black people. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for this time that you've given us. Thank you for having me. Of course. Okay. We will talk soon. All right. Thank you. Bye.